Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study that we're doing in the book of Acts together. And uh, actually, our study encompasses all of the New Testament at this point. We're working through it a chapter at a time. We're two years plus into it. We've done the Gospels. And now we're almost done with the book of Acts. Last few chapters, working through the book of Acts. And then Romans is next. Um, and then the rest of the letters from Paul. Um, I think that when you study it this way, it, it really should help you hold everything in context. That, um, that the Gospels make sense reflected in, in the book of Acts and all the letters that Paul writes and that the early guys write will make sense reflected from, from there and from, from what happened in the early church. Um, remember that as you look at Acts and, and study, hopefully you connect with it. And now, sort of at the end here, we're really primarily dealing with um, Paul and uh, trials. Paul's, Paul has a lot of trials, real trials. He's in, he's in constant trials here. <laughs> and when I mean trials, I mean he's, you know, he's in front of judges and they're, they're going over and over and over the same thing. We've already been through quite a few of them and we're going to get another one today in Acts chapter 25 that uh, pretty much again has no real result. But this is part of uh, Paul's ministry. And, you know, it, God uses it. I'm amazed at how God uses everything in our lives. And so even these things that, you know, because you would, I mean, to me, when I, when I see Paul now being stuck for two years, which is what's happened, we've gone through a two-year process where Paul's been uh, under guard or in prison, if you want, in Caesarea. He's had some freedoms there under the centurion because he knew he wasn't a flight risk or anything. Um, but... But still, he's been kind of stopped there, and you think, well, for someone like Paul, that doesn't seem like the best use of, of you know, the person of Paul for the kingdom of God. And yet, when you, when you begin to see who he's relating to in these things, that, that God is using him to um, spread the message in some places it may not normally go, and these people of very high sort of position and stature are hearing about the gospel, because Paul lets them have it, um, and just tells him about, you know, about how it is. And uh, he does it, as Paul does, you know, with a lot of grace and a lot of love. But they're, they're getting their buttons pushed. And uh, they're not really sure how to deal with him. And, um, and so he's been stuck now under Felix in prison for two years. And then uh, Felix has just been replaced. Felix just didn't deal with it. That's what Felix did. He put Paul in prison. He would call him up every once in a while. And they would chat. And, and um, then he would send him away again. And remember it said he was hoping that at some point in time Paul would offer him a bribe to get him out of there, and Paul wouldn't. And so two years, and now Felix has been sort of replaced by Festus. And uh, Festus comes into this position uh, as this governor, procurator uh, in Rome, and um, that's the issue that we're facing. So let's read Acts 25, 27 verses. I'll read it. You can follow along either in your Bibles or in your bulletins, and then we'll talk about it. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea. 
and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious accusations against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to, the Jews a, to, do, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? And Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything, any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left me as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers. Pardon me. I lost my place because I held down too wrong on the iPad and it skipped ahead two pages. Here we go. See, technology is a wonderful thing. I told them that this is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I really like that verse. We'll talk about that in a little bit. That's funny, don't you think? That strikes me as very funny. They were just talking about some dead guy named Jesus who Paul says isn't dead. Amen. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul ma made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought, you before, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Well, good. I'm glad that he finds that unreasonable, don't you? And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so, so you sort of get the story. Let's dig into it. And uh, 
to me, again, it's, it's fascinating, these events that have been happening to Paul, all of these trials that he's been facing. And so, um, first verse there in Acts 25, Festus basically arrives on the scene to take over for Felix. And um, you, to give him credit, he does seem to take this job pretty seriously because one of the first things that he does is, is knowing that uh, Jerusalem is part of the thing that he's overseeing. He goes up there to go find out what's going on with them. I'm sure he's heard that it's a volatile area and he wants to establish some relationships in order to keep things at peace. Remember, that's the main sort of goal of the Romans as an occupying force is they want to keep the peace. They want, they want things settled. They don't want any local disturbances because they just want to be able to gather their tax money and make things go smoothly. All right? I could go down all sorts of little rabbit trails, and I'm not going to. Um, so, so he takes it pretty seriously, and uh, he goes down there for three days, within three days, and he hangs out with them for a couple of weeks. Um, while he's there, in verses 2 and 3, the leaders, um, they sort of ask him to do a favor. Since they know he's new, they kind of, you know, you, being all chummy, hey, we're glad you're here. Listen, uh, could you, and they say, even they say, please, could you please do us a little favor, a little tiny favor? You, you're holding a guy named Paul. And we would really like to get him back up here. We have some things that we're not quite finished with. Could you just uh, send him to us? And uh, again, what you have to see here is the irony of the people who are supposed to be the upholders of the holy law of God blatantly lying, because that's not what they want to do with Paul. They want to kill him. And, and they're, they're telling absolute lies I mean, and that's one of the top ten, right? Let alone they've added six or seven hundred other rules by this time or whatever. But one of the top ten is not to bear false witness. And they do it now without, they don't even seem to be, they don't even care anymore that they're lying. They, they, it's become that rampant. And so they're, they're, to me it's just, you need to see the irony of, uh, and I think that's why Luke writes it that way, of the people who, who believe they're upholding the law of God in order to uphold their version of it will break it constantly. See, the moment that becomes a problem, you know, when you have to break what you're trying to uphold in order to uphold it, there's an issue somewhere. And, and that's when you go, well, something's not right. They should have gone like that, and they didn't. They just kept fighting the whole sort of process, and so that's the irony. And then in verses 4 and 5, um, Festus doesn't grant the request, but uh, he does invite the Jewish leaders to come up to Caesarea. It's about 30 miles away. And uh, he says, look, I'll personally hear the case. You come and bring the accusations against him, and, and he'll sit before me, and we'll see what we can do. And, and again, verses 6 and 7, we have another trial, very similar to all the other ones. They come up, uh, the Jewish leaders come up and say a bunch of things that aren't true that they can't prove. And, um, and, and it's all because, they, they, again, they, they want to kill Paul. So now, I told you, while they were lying about it, and now, now they just want to murder Paul. So there's another one of those commandments they're breaking in, in order to try and... It's just the, the whole process. You know? and, and really, when you, they keep accusing him of being a lawbreaker, who, who in fact are the lawbreakers in the story? Not, not the one on trial. And, and that's the issue. And so Paul, once again, verses 8 and 9, he gives a brief statement that he hasn't done anything wrong. And, uh, and then Festus trying to sort of come to some solution, says, well, how would you feel about going back to Jerusalem? And, 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 and Festus offers to hear the case there. I'll go up there, and maybe we can get to the bottom of it and see what's going on. And um, Paul knows it's another trap. Um, 
Do you remember when he left the last time at night with the Calvary and a bunch of, you know, there was 400 and some guards because these 40 um, people had decided that they wanted to kill Paul and they'd taken an oath that they wouldn't eat or drink until Paul was dead. Now, my guess is two years later, those guys broke that. (laughs) Or they'd all be dead. So somehow they maneuvered their way out of it. But they're still there, and they still would like to see Paul dead. So he knows those guys are still waiting there. And uh, Paul also knows that there's no way he can get a fair trial in Jerusalem. They've already tried that process. And he's already been a prisoner for now two years in Caesarea. Think about how frustrating it must be to be held and tried constantly and, and make no progress. Nothing is changing. And he hasn't done anything wrong. There's no valid charges against him. And so he, he finally says, you know what, if, if you can't decide how to do this, if you're not going to take this on, send me to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar, which was a right that he had as a Roman citizen. Now the Caesar at this point in time was a guy named Nero. Maybe you've heard about Nero. Um, he, he was not a good guy historically. But apparently um, he got worse towards the end of his life in the beginning of his reign, which had been fairly near the beginning. He was considered a pretty um, just sort of individual. And then something snapped along the way and, and then he you know, really started persecuting and blaming things on the Christians and he went nuts. So, um, but, but that's who he appeals to, and uh, I kind of like it when, because I think Festus said, okay, maybe this is a way out for me. Felix couldn't make a decision, and I, I don't want to make a decision. You want to go to Caesar? To Caesar, you will go. Um, but this causes then another set of problems that he writes about later on, because he's got to send the guy to Caesar, and, and Caesar's got to hear the case, and he doesn't know what the case is. That's a problem. Right? He has no idea what the charges are. They don't make any sense to him. And so he's got to come up with a way to deal with that. And fortunately for him, King Agrippa shows up. Now, King Agrippa um, is a king of Israel. And he's the, um, the son. He's actually Agrippa II. So he's the son of King Herod, who we read about in Acts chapter 12, and that king, his father, was the one that had James, who was the brother of John's, killed. And he's also the one that put Peter in prison um, back in Acts 12. Acts 12, 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute him. Um, that was his dad who did that, king of Israel. And he's the grandson, just so you know, of Herod the Great, who we encountered in the Gospel of Matthew in the very beginning. Matthew 2, 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod... Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So you, you need to see there's still a lineage of kings passing along here too that are more figureheads than anything. But Agrippa II, the one who's king now, uh, he's about 30 years old at this time, he's pretty popular with the Roman ruling authority. And so um, they've given him some powers. Um, he, he has the power to appoint the high priest, which is pretty significant then in that community. And he's also become the guardian of the temple treasury another pretty significant thing so that's King Agrippa and and uh, uh, um, so he also would have been well acquainted with the Jewish religion and then Bernice and this is a little disturbing um, is his sister and his girlfriend so 
historical fact. All right. So now they show up, um, and uh, in verses 14 through 21, Festus um, sees that maybe, well, maybe Agrippa can give him some clue as to what's going on here because he knows about the Jewish religion. And, and so he, he, starts, he starts talking about this process, and I'm sure he's talking about it, hoping that Agrippa will do what he's about to do, which is, hey, I want to meet this guy. Because Festus has this issue. He's got to send Paul to Caesar, and he needs to write some charges, and he can't figure it out. So he starts talking to Agrippa about this, and uh, I like this part of the, the discussion, and, and I mentioned it again, verses 18 through 21, because um, Agrippa, I mean, uh, Festus says this to Agrippa. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss at how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. Um, when, when Paul made his appeal to be handled with the decision, I, I had him stay until I could send him to Caesar. I, I like this whole... See, can you imagine someone who has no clue about what's going on to um, think that they, they, they want to have Paul so desperately because he's done something horrible to them in their temple, and he said the dispute, I don't even understand, it's about some dead guy they claim named Jesus that Paul says is alive. I don't know what to do. And, and I just love this. Can you imagine? These are very important people. And they, he's got to be scratching his head like, what in the world? No wonder Felix let this guy sit here two years. There's nothing. You, what, he hasn't done anything. And he'll even say later on, I can find no reason to charge this guy with anything. So could you help me out? And sure enough, in verse 22, um, this, this uh, uh, piques the curiosity of Agrippa enough that he says, hey, I want to talk to this guy personally. And so Festus arranged it, and in verse 23 and 24, you know, they, uh, Agrippa and Bernice, see this is a big thing to get all, they come down in their big royal robes and everything, and all of the official people are there. It's this whole big, big kind of thing, you know what I mean? And they bring Paul in once again to talk to him. And uh, um, verses 25 through 27, 25 is very important. Um, because it, it shows, once again, that Festus, just like Felix before him, found that Paul had done nothing deserving of death, and that's the issue. He hasn't done anything. Now, do, you, do these trials remind you of another trial, similar trials with Jesus? Remember, they, they kept putting him in spots, and the guy hasn't done anything deserving of death, and yet the, the, the Jewish leaders just wanted him dead. They didn't care. Again, you've got to see the irony here of, of and, and, and unfortunately, it can still happen. We can get so consumed in our viewpoint that we begin to compromise the truth in order to uphold what we think is true. And that, that's the problem that we always have to watch. So um, Festus couldn't send Paul without any clear charges, so he's hoping that Agrippa and these other guys can help him sort of figure out what they're going to put together in this letter. And um, it's another one of those cliffhangers because it ends there again. The trial goes no further. And we pick it up more in the process. Now, um, the next three, it's 26, 27, 28. Um, you just kind of see these things continue to happen to Paul. And you go, why is Luke making such a big deal over this? Because th this is the, um, the, the way that God uh, sort of directs this port of the ministry and ultimately gets Paul to Rome 
to, which is where he's always felt like he was supposed to go, and he's going to use him there as well. Um, but they're still mostly imprisoned, and I, I think it, it's one of those things that we need to consider sometimes in our lives, is that I'm, I'm fairly confident this is not how Paul thought this thing would be going. He'd had some, you know, warnings from the Holy Spirit that, hey, you're going to face some hard times. But I bet he's really frustrated having been shut down in prison so long. And he spent a lot of time incarcerated for being God's man. And uh, it, it, it's how he kind of keeps going here for a while. You're going to see it continue on and on in, in what he's dealing with. And so, you know, I, I, I look at these things and I, I just, I think about how... Um, you know, being part of God's story, which we are, um, that there's, there's a lot of components to it. And that it doesn't always go exactly how we want. But I love the fact that God can use, use every situation and use every part of our lives for, for good, if we'll let him. And that, that we need to see that as we continue on. Because I don't think, you know, we can get so busy and we get off track and, and we think, well, you know, God can't use me or do any of these things. And, and he absolutely can, if you're just willing to allow God to move in whatever situation you're in, he'll use it. And it's, it's part of the message, I think, that Luke is trying to convey to us in these chapters, that, that God can, can move through every situation, and he does, even in something as, as drastic as what Paul is going through, which is very difficult in the process. And so, you know, when you're, when you're really going through it, just remember, hang in there and, and trust in the Lord, and he'll see you through it. He's going to see Paul through, too, although, you know... Um, it's not a real cushy next period of season, period of time, season of time for Paul. He's going to go through some difficulties, and uh, it, you'll see it as it as it sort of plays out. It, it, it's difficult all the way. So, um, uh, but God's going to use him in mighty ways, and I, I'm sure that's all the, the biggest part of it. And Paul knows that. Paul, um, when we start looking at the letters that he writes during these times um, to the people that he he visits, he he says amazing things. You know, he writes. Um, when we look at the letter to the Philippians, and he writes while he's incarcerated in a very bad situation, and he writes the whole letter about joy. Is that, isn't that amazing? That, that he, he spends that whole letter in Philippians while he's incarcerated writing about joy, and how he finds joy in the midst of a difficult thing. He teaches us a lot, and, and so knowing what he's going through will help explain the letters better as we read them in the weeks to come. Well, that's enough. Short chapter, short time tonight. We'll let you go home early. And uh, I don't think anyone will complain. That way you can get up nice and early and go out after lobsters again. Yeah. How many of you went and got lobsters today? Anyone? Good for you. Yeah. Okay. Good job. All right. And I'm glad everybody's back safe. Okay. Um, you can shut down the video upstairs. If you're watching my video, thank you.